Good morning. Uh, this morning we'll be reading out of John chapter 1, verses 14, or verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son, from the Father full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. You may be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here. Our other pastor, Brian, is uh, running yet another marathon. Uh, so when he gets back, be sure um, that you uh, congratulate him because he probably won or got second place or something like that. He's pretty fast. Um, yeah, we're, we're proud of Brian and uh, we're grateful uh, for his work here and eager for him to come back. But um, I just wanted to say thank you for celebrating Advent with us this morning. And uh, for the last couple of weeks, we plowed straight through Joshua pretty quickly. And so uh, I hope that it's been uh, helpful for you and, and as transformative for you as it has been for us just to slow down and meditate on a single verse for a few weeks. Um, before we get into our scripture today, the glory of the one and only Son, I had a, a, a quick in small correction, there's a sermon that I preached two weeks ago, and I referenced Genesis 18. Um, in that reference, I mentioned that Abraham pled with God down to find uh, one righteous person in Sodom and Gomorrah, and that was incorrect. The correction is that Abraham pled with God down to 10 righteous people. And it seems small, it seems in insignificant, um, but the way that we preach and the way that we value Scripture is such that even what seems like a small mistake, um, we, we see it as a big thing because of the, the importance of Scripture, the authority of Scripture, uh, the purity that we long for in the pulpit. And so um, uh, thank you for your grace. Thank you uh, just for bearing with us as we're young pastors and preachers and uh, as we're learning how to, how to live and move in the pulpit. So I uh, just wanted to clarify that. And then we can move on to John 1, 14. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son. And there's something about glory that seeing it helps us believe it, right? Like that's the whole thing with Santa Claus. <laughs> right? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. There's, there is substance to seeing glory that cannot be communicated merely through uh, explaining an experience, through a screen, or even being with someone who has experienced that glory. There's a, a, a measure of substance and meaning that the experience brings us. Last week, Brian talked about uh, being at a live hockey game. I've seen hockey uh, on TV and live, and change the channel quickly when it's on TV because it just bores me. I'm sorry if you like hockey. I know Brian will find that um, appalling, but he blasts the Cowboys. I can blast hockey. Um, <laughs> but if you've ever been to a live hockey game, has anybody ever been to a live hockey game? That's right. Some of y'all remember the Outlaws here in San Angelo, right? I know Caitlin represents them regularly with that shirt. Um, there's, a, there's something just glorious about a live hockey game. Seeing fights like with permission, it's different on TV. There's something about a live game, any sporting event, 
Also think about, maybe sports aren't your thing, but have you ever seen a live Broadway play? A live, even in St. Angelo, have you ever seen a live play? That's so different than watching a movie or seeing that play from a screen. I took Kendall to uh, Glacier National Park for our 10-year anniversary this summer, and I can tell you all about the mountains. I can tell you how purple majesty they were, right? I can explain the smell and the color of the pine trees, the way that bear grass grows up with these bright white-yellow flowers and the smell that it gives in the meadows of northern Montana. I can explain to you how terrifying it is driving literally two yards from a 2,000-foot drop. I can explain to you how the weather changes instantly from warm and sunny to 40 degrees and pouring rain. But I cannot give you the experience. No matter what I say, no matter how many pictures I show you, that doesn't compare to what we saw. There's something even more glorious about what we saw at Glacier National Park that our pictures and our words just can't communicate. The same is true for Broadway. The same is true for concerts. The same is true for sporting events. So when you first heard of Jesus, how did you know that he was good? When you first heard of his love, how did you know that it was true? If you aren't a Christian, how have you formed your opinions about Jesus? There's something to our experience. There's something to what we have seen that brings substance and meaning to what we believe. Now, there's, there's two primary responses Um, to Jesus. Whenever we hear about Jesus, we're told of his salvation, we're told of his love. There's two primary responses. One is to make an immediate judgment, to either believe or to not believe, right? This is similar to how you don't have to make me taste liver and onions. I just know it's not for me. It's It's the same kind of quick judgment, but Jesus is totally different from liver and onions, I got an oh yeah from that. (laughs) The other response is that you just give him a try, right? You're like, I don't know. I'm a little bit skeptical, but let's check it out. We explore. We're curious. We seek to experience Jesus. We're curious about how he might be active in our lives. Or maybe when you first heard of Jesus, your life was in a moment where you knew that his love was real because you experienced that in that moment. You were able to make that judgment based on your knowledge and understanding because of what you had seen. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father. Let's talk real quick about that word glory. That word glory 
is something we are familiar with. We experience glory probably, definitely, on a daily basis. Now, I'll explain it in, in a broad sense. The word glory is similar to like an advertisement, like a neon sign. The Bible often uses the illustration of light when it describes glory. Remember, Moses was up on the mountain with God. And when he came back down, his face was literally shining so brightly that he had to put a veil over his face. There was this glory that Moses just absorbed by simply being in the presence of God for a number of days. So there's this association between glory and light, and we often talk about glory shining, like Kelsey read this morning. Well, a glory of a thing, the shining glory of any person or object tells you that there is goodness to be found there, just like a commercial, right? You'll see lots of flashing lights and quick frame rates and lots of colors and brightness and loud noises in commercials specifically targeting children because it's showing that there is something good to be found here. And whatever that child associates with that advertisement, they say, "I, I long for that thing. And they'll ask for it for Christmas every day. Trust me. There's a glory behind, there's a a glory to all created things, and behind that glory is a certain goodness that is being promised. Now, the glory of hockey cannot be communicated through the screen, right? The glory of wicked cannot be communicated through a screen. How ironic did I use wicked? (laughs) The glory of the Wizard of Oz. Sound Sound of music, there you go. That's a better one. No matter how bright you turn the screen up, there's a certain glory that is just different in person. But this glory that we see from Jesus, John illustrates earlier in chapter 1 as light. And he says that there's something being promised in the glory of Jesus. There's a goodness behind that glory. Now, the same glory is found in all created things because when God finished creating... Every day he stopped and he said, yeah, that's good. And on the final day, after he had created all of his creation, he stopped and he looked and said, that is real good. That's my paraphrase. (laughs) But there's a, a twistedness to our glory. All things in creation, us included, have glory because of the source of glory is our creator. We are created by the glorious one, the unique one, the only son of God, the word become flesh. We are created by him and we are given his glory because there is a goodness in us, there is a goodness in all creation that is not meant to terminate on ourselves or on a thing, but it's meant to point to the glorious one. But we twist it. 
Because Genesis 3, the rebellion of humanity against the glory of God, twists all things. Even a slight perversion is enough to dim that glory into darkness. And so we advertise ourselves as more than we are. We have this projection of ourselves. We long for the world to see us as better than we know ourselves to be. But we also hope for more than we can have. So we long to to be more glorious than we actually are, but we also long to get more glory from all creation because there's this this peace in us that's missing, this, this hollowness inside of us because of the rebellion of sin, that we have, we have exchanged the glory of God, the truth of God for a lie, and for a lesser glory of the created things. We want more from our relationships. There's a, there's a longing in our soul for the glory that we see in relationships to give us more than it can. There's a longing in my soul to, to look at the glory of coffee. And I want to get more from that than I can. I find myself dissatisfied, so I, I return not to rejoice, but to exploit. There's a longing in my soul that cannot be filled by no, any number of Cowboys wins. No matter how affirming it is to see all the people that hate the Cowboys, silent. There is no measure of affirmation that I can find from a created thing that would satisfy my soul enough to say that glory will sustain me. I want more and more and more because my sin and Satan have convinced me that the world can fulfill my soul. But there's no amount of entertainment or affirmation or pleasure that I can find in all of God's creation that will fill the infinite depth of our souls. They were only made to be fulfilled in the infinite glory of God. So there's glory, but then there's glory. Glory as of the only Son, the unique one, the most glorious one, the only begotten, the Son that was before, the Son that created all things, the Son in whom all things are held together. There's glory as of the only Son from the Father. And I referenced before that one of the primary images, illustrations that Scripture uses uh, when it talks about glory is light. And John uses this in his first chapter in his introduction. So let's look first at John 1, 1 through 5. This is how John chose to introduce the glory of God to all humanity. In the beginning was the Word, 
and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And if you remember from our first week in Advent, we covered the, that first part of John 1.14, the Word became flesh. And we described how this is the incarnation, how God became human. This is Jesus, God the Son. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was, with, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Do you see the light association? The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is another reference back to Genesis 1 in creation when God said, let there be light, and it was so. There was no holding back the light as there is no holding back the glory of God. This association here between the life of Jesus and the life of humanity, the light in the glory of God and the darkness in the life of human flesh. And what did we see in John 1, 1 through 5 that was promised in the light, this advertisement of who God is, this glory coming from the word made flesh? What is the promise being made? What is the goodness within this glory that is promised? It's life. Life in God. Let's look at um, a few verses later, 9 through 13 in John 1. In the glory of Jesus, what does Jesus promise to satisfy? Starting in verse 9, the true light. I'm going to pause right there for a second. When John says the true light, he is acknowledging that there are lesser lights but they are not the source of light. They are mere reflections. Like the moon reflects the light from the sun, its light is not in itself. It is a reflection of the source of light. John is being very clear to say, although the word became flesh, he is the true light. Although Jesus shines forth the glory of God. He is God. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, here's the promise, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. There is a glory found in Jesus that makes a promise of goodness. The goodness in Jesus is that we are adopted that we are brought into the family as sons and daughters, and it is in Jesus that we have this adopted life. This is the light of, man, of God that came down from heaven to give life to men, to bring us into union with our Father. 
But all who did receive him, verse 12, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Our substance changes when we receive the light of Christ, when we believe and we accept him. When John says that we have seen his glory, glory is of the only son, the true light. There's only one. There's only one source of glory from the Father. What he's saying is that what we had in creation is promised to be brought back to us. And that promise is true. We are so used to twisted, empty glory. Imperfect promises Diminished light. Our hopes exceed our experiences. But in Christ, this is not true. All that we could hope for is a fraction of what is found in Christ. The life that we long for, the restoration that we long for, the forgiveness that we long for, this union with God that we long for, There's no end to the hope of this in Christ. Where our experiences fall short by hoping in things that are created, our hopes will fall short before we reach the end of our experience with Christ. You see, there is this union between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, this union of love and peace and joy that has existed for all time. And when we were created, we were created to join into this union of love and peace and joy. But in the rebellion, the sinfulness of humanity, we chose the created things over this union over this glory that is found. And we're familiar with the state of sin in our world. I I think the older I get, the more I long for Jesus to come back because I just don't see a way out here, right? We hope for this war in Ukraine to be over soon, but there's just going to be another one. And there's a dozen other ones that aren't getting news coverage, We hope for this pandemic to finally tick all the way down to zero cases permanently. But how many other viruses are we meant to be afraid of? And it's not just in the wars and the rumors of wars and the plagues and the rumors of plagues. It's in the brokenness in us. It's in our inability to be as glorious as we hope to be, to find the glory that we hope to get, that makes us long for more of Jesus and finally for him to come back. We have this longing in us. Now I want to show, um, using Ephesians 2, 
the late Eugene Peterson, he translated the entire Bible. Um, it's a paraphrase. It's not meant to be a useful translation. Uh, it's meant to, as, more like a commentary. This is the message, right? The, the message translation is meant for us um, to use as a companion. And so I'm going to use this as a companion to describe what I'm talking about here. From Ephesians 2, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul compares this sinfulness of the rebellion that's within us to how God responded. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, but God, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. See, we need the glory of Jesus because all that we have in ourselves and all that we have in creation is sin and death. And we need the glory of God. We need the glory of God in Jesus because it is only in him that we find life. Now, the question that we should all be asking is how? How do I see more of the glory of Jesus? This section of our uh, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. How can we too say we have seen? Because when I ask you that first question, when you first heard of Jesus, when you first experienced Jesus, what was your response? How have you seen him? Now, I will say there's a, there's a lot of ways. We have scripture that reveals God to us. We have prayer. We have our relationships with one another. We have Sunday mornings, right? Specifically, I want to talk about living in community. Um, right now, because we're a baby church, this is what we have that is ongoing. Sunday mornings um, are not meant to be the end of church. I know that when we use the word church, especially in San Angelo, we automatically think of Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock, right? And that's fine. This Sunday morning gathering is good, and it's right, and we will not neglect it. But this is not where our experience of Jesus ends. There is something of him here, but this is not where it ends. This, this is only a portion of our experience of Jesus. Now, there's more to the glory of Jesus. There's more experiencing the glory of Jesus, this promise of life in community, in deep Christian community. In deep Christian friendships, we are steered down the straight and narrow path 
of our good and glorious Savior. Now, we'll, we'll preach a sermon on community soon enough. Um, we'll, we'll also be launching our uh, groups early next year. But really, you don't need us to build up a small group ministry. You don't need us to form any sort of program for you to be able to do that on your own. It makes it easier, sure. But you don't need it. Because in deep Christian community, what we find is is that the knowledge of one to another is what leads us to experience the forgiveness of Christ. When there's someone that knows my tendencies well enough to be able to say, hey, Ryan, you're not well. I've noticed that, that this shift in your language, you've been a little bit more self-centered. You've been a little bit more concerned about what you can get from, from other people and other things. There's, a, there's uh, this accountability that's meant to point us back towards forgiveness in Christ. But we also find that we, uh, in community, we learn more of the glory of reconciliation. That when we truly are known by someone, they see our flaws, they see that this projection that we give off of ourselves, this, this hope for us to be more glorious than we are, it's when they see through that and they still come back to you and they say, hey, Ryan, because I love you, I'm going to tell you you're not well. But then there's also this restoration that we get by being in deep Christian community. That we find Jesus, we experience him, that we can say we have seen his glory because of the love that is shared among the saints. Let's look at um, these three primary ways that we experience Jesus, that we can say we have seen him. Let's look at three primary ways. We're going to use Romans 8. Deep Christian community shows us Jesus and how he's forgiven, reconciled, and restored us. First, Romans 8.1. Sin and rebellion, this filling your lungs with polluted unbelief that Eugene Peterson talks about. Sin and rebellion condemned you. It's true. Sin and rebellion makes you guilty. But in Jesus, you're not condemned. You are condemned no more. The truth of your identity is that you are forgiven. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation, not less condemnation, not a little bit of condemnation, not a minute fraction of condemnation. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus tells us all through John 13 through 17 that if you believe in me, you are in me. You stand with me before the Father.
the shame and condemnation of failure does not reflect the reality of the life you have in Christ, this adopted identity that you have in Christ. And that's one of my primary fears, is to experience shame and guilt. Because I'm, I'm afraid to be shown that I'm guilty. I'm afraid to be shown that I'm broken, I'm weak, and I'm human. But in Christ, there is no condemnation, and I don't have to be afraid. And when I experience that, and I know that, I can share that freedom with my brother and my sister in Christ. The, the people that are with me in community, and I don't mean the people I'm most connected to, like the people that I'm, we have the best chemistry, the people that I'm like, man, we just, we just gel, we just mesh together. That's helpful. That's not what I mean in community. But I also don't mean connectedness through shared hobbies. Those are helpful entry points. Chemistry and connection. That does not define community. Community is defined by our willingness to relent to Jesus, to confess that he alone is our Savior, that only his glory can fill us and satisfy us. And then we just pick the people near us, the people that our calendars work together. And we form communal bonds in the gospel by our confession of Christ. And so when I'm afraid to feel guilt and shame, which is probably what my brother would have said to me when he said, Ryan, you're not well because you're afraid. Then I can turn to Christ. He'll point me to Christ and he'll say, man, Romans 8.1 is true. You are not condemned. You don't have to be afraid to experience your own brokenness. You don't have to be afraid to feel shame because you're a son. The shame and the guilt of our sin is what drove us away from God. So sin and um, our failure is is what... the rebellion in Genesis 3, that's what condemned us. And in our condemnation, we drove ourselves out of the Garden of Eden. But in Jesus, we're reconciled. In Jesus, we're brought back home. Romans 8.15 You have received the spirit of adoption as a son and a daughter, and by this spirit... We cry, Abba, Father. That word spirit, it's a lowercase s. In, um, in the ESV, there's the Holy Spirit, capital S. But then there's spirit, like this, um, this way of living, this character. You've been given the character, the identity, the way that you are of adoption, So it's not only you've been given the Holy Spirit, but you've also been given this way of life, this new freedom, this way that you carry yourself within the world. And that spirit is of an adopted son and daughter. Do you know what my kids yell at me when I'm walking up the stairs of our patio 
at 5.07 every workday. They yell, Daddy! And they bust through the door and come and tackle my legs. And I cannot walk. <laughs> Do you know what my kids yell at 2.07 a.m.? And they've had a nightmare. Or they've got a fever. First they yell, Mommy! <laughs> but sometimes they yell, Daddy! That's because they belong to me. They're under my stewardship. Their identity is mine. They share my name. They share my likeness. They're my kids. And this is what Abba, Father, means in Romans 8.15. That now, though many of us have never had someone to cry out, Daddy! Now we do. And though many of us have had someone to cry out, Daddy, we have a better dad. We have a better Abba Father. One that even the best of earthly fathers would submit to. The emptiness and neediness that our souls found ourselves in through rebellion, through sin. This emptiness of our soul begs for healing and fulfillment, this complete restoration that just cannot be taken away from us, so full that there is no emptying. In Jesus, you are fully satisfied and fully restored. Romans 8, 38 through 39 For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. In case I didn't cover it all, anything in all creation. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are fully satisfied and fulfilled in the glory of Christ And there is nothing that can diminish that light. When you trust in the life-saving work of Jesus, then everything your soul could ever want or need is found in him. And there's nothing on earth that could make that untrue. Nothing. There's no amount of fear or shame or guilt or sadness or loneliness or anger that could make you less of a son or a daughter. Have you seen this Jesus? Have you seen his glory? If you have, let's join in communion together this morning. As we take the bread and we take the cup, the body of Christ broken for us, the blood of Christ spilled for us, so that we could be reconciled to one another. This is the confession we share in community that we take the body and the blood of Christ together as we confess that we are in him and he is in us. And we have seen his glory. For those of us who have received, we take the bread and the cup to remember that he was emptied and broken for us. If you have seen this glory and you have received, 
Let us come to the table. Let's pray. Holy Father, you have given us all things because you have given us yourself. Would you heal the wounded souls that we have that long for more and more from this world? Would you help us to find that more in your son Jesus? Would you show us more of yourself? And like you showed your glory to Moses on the mountain, God, would you fill us so deeply and richly that we shine forth your glory in this world? That we shine your glory to one another in the way that we love, the way that we forgive, the way that we are reconciled to one another. That in our sin, not only have we made ourselves enemies with you, God, but we have made ourselves enemies with one another. But that in your glory, the glory of your only son, you have won us back to yourself and therefore you have reconciled us back to each other. And would you restore and fill our souls with your love to such a fullness that it cannot be emptied again. God, we surrender to you and we look to you to be the glorious one, the only one whose promise of goodness is actually true. Would you forgive us when we look to other things? Would you bring us back into your way, into your life? Would you teach us how to continue to come back to you to find fullness of glory? Let us worship you this morning, God, because you are good because we have seen it.